Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo! <laughs> Emphasis was really on the butt, huh? <laughs> yes. Emphasis is always on the butt. I mean, that's the way we like it. <laughs> Glad I hit record. <laughs> the butt. Baton. Baton. <laughs> now I'm just saying baton. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. realize now. I almost said speaking of batons, but there's, <laughs> there's no baton in this, is there? No. Unless no. you use it to set his leg. I don't <laughs> think so. Okay, well... Speaking of batons, I can say whatever I want. Nothing matters. Speaking of putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> Ordering misery. Don Perignon. <laughs> Don Perignon. Misery. 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 <laughs> misery. Oh, God. We're doing misery. We're doing misery. And I'm so excited. Our patrons chose this. Yes, they like, did. Like, unanimously? And yeah. I was like, are you guys okay? Yep. <laughs> like, and we put it in the chat, and everyone was like, yeah, misery. That's an easy and one. I was like, everyone loves misery, huh? Like, dang, all right. <laughs> you guys are fucked up. I mean, love you, but <laughs> dang. I do like this movie. Yeah. It's a good one. I can't, no, I can't wait. I'm just excited. I have, this is one of the first horror movies I ever saw. Really? Yeah, I don't remember okay. why. I saw this one in undergrad with some of my friends, so it's not, like, the first one, mm-hmm. but it was one of the earlier ones yeah. that I saw. I was, like, not, I saw it at a normal age, I think. I don't think I saw it as a kid. So when I say first, I yeah. mean, like, appropriate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I remember my mom talking about it when I was, like, I don't know, in my teens. Yeah. And she was, like, oh, yeah, misery. And I was, like, what's that? Yeah. And uh, it's fucked up. <laughs> yes. It still messes me up. It is that. I think about it a lot. Weirdly enough, I think because I watched it so early. I think about it a fair amount. Anytime I use a bobby pin, which is enough. (laughs) And every time I just, oh, my ankle. Anytime my ankle hurts, I go, misery. (laughs) I get scared. Every time it snows, every time it rains. Every time it snows, every time I read a book. (laughs) It's really hard. But no, we're talking about misery. Are you excited for some fun facts? Always. Also, just so everyone knows, I am sick. So if I cough, we're going to cut it out. But if I sound like I'm like, just deal with it. Uh Shut your mouth. Mind your business. She has to cough. <laughs> I have to cough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Misery. Based on 1987 novel of the same name by Stephen King. Uh, screenplay was by William Goldman. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I had to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and you looked at me funny when I, I said did. it. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're right. I I've see been now. judged in the past. I'm sorry, I see now. I can swallow right. clearly now. I I hated what I did. Good though. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) William Goldman. Uh, He made Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Mm. All the President's Men, Marathon Man, and The Princess Bride. Yes. Uh, Specifically wrote those. Like, um, directed the first two, or not directed, sorry, wrote the screenplay for the Sundance Kid and President's Mm Men, uh, wrote the novel for Marathon Man and The Princess Bride. I've read it. Yeah, uh, Princess Bride. It's like a satire. It's yeah. very different from the movie. Yep, and I love it. <laughs> so I was like, "That's so fun!" I didn't, I didn't realize that. That's cool. Uh, it was directed by Rob Reiner. He's done so many things. So I'm gonna say a few things, and then enough. And then yeah, yeah, he's done so much. Uh, he played Michael Stivic on All in the Family. That okay. was like his first big thing. Um, and then he made he directed Stand by Me. 
uh, This is Spinal Tap and Princess Bride. So those okay. were the three big ones that I think everyone kind of knows. Yeah. But he's also been in a lot of things. Like he's been in a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. He's been in a lot of movies. He, when I was watching the movie on HBO, the first thing that plays is a behind the scenes with him and his face popped up and I went, who the, why is he in this? Why is the dad from New Girl in this? This is so weird. I don't remember him. And then he's like, when I directed this and I went, um, pardon? And that's how I learned that Rob Reiner is the, that Rob Reiner. Yeah. When he popped <laughs> up, I was like, enough out of you and scream. <laughs> I, I let it play for way too long because I was like, you? Like, it was just a moment of, I know your face, but I've never connected mm-hmm. that face to that name. So I just sat there going, huh, okay. So I listened for a while. I sure didn't. <laughs> I, and then I finally went, no. No. I'm done. I'm only interested in commentary after I've already watched it once. That's true. I was also like, I would like to see this first. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, fun fact. Rob Reiner, there you go. So it surprised me. <laughs> uh, cinematography was uh, Barry Sonnenfeld. Um, he did cinematography, uh, cinematography for the Coen brothers, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but then I think either before or after that, he directed Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values. <laughs> Love that. Mm-hmm. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> you have Adam's Family, family Values. values. <laughs> Lady. That man, but that's a good fucking joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also, did, he also did the cinematography for the Men in Black trilogy. Ah! And Wild Wild West. Men in Black. Wild Wild West. <laughs> I was, those are two of my faves, honestly. You know how some movies we get and you get like a, oh, this movie is very dark and scary, yes. but they also made Legally Blonde, uh-huh. right? Yeah. This is just full of that. Yeah. Every time I looked at what someone else had done, I was like, what? Hold on. So I got the Princess Bride, Men in Black trilogy. Wait till we get to the music. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. I just, every person got weirder and funnier. Uh, so the music was by Mark Shaman. I think it's Shaman or Shaman. I'm not sure, but one of those two um so he wrote the music for the broadway musical version of hairspray oh so that was already wild i was like wild he also worked with bet midler like a lot and like helped her with her cd and uh, helped her release music a lot so that was wild as well and the more i read i was like what so he also made the music for when harry met sally city slickers adam's family and george of the jungle And he works with a bunch of artists. Just lucky, I guess. Like, st- <laughs> like, still. Like, he just he just keeps working with people. Good for him. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. I was impressed. Because this music is... I don't know. It's kind of fun. I want to give him, like, a little gold star, like, best team player. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> He's really doing it works all. Works well with others. Oh, God. Okay. So, yeah. That was the music. Um, and now for the budget. <clears throat> the budget was $20 million. Oh. Yeah. It was relatively big for being in one room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but do you know how much it made? 30 million. It's not bad. Uh, 61.3 million. Yeah, good, but. So we were halfway there. <laughs> yeah. We were on a But yeah. Um, so 61.3. That was more I than was I anticipated. I was going to guess 50 and then I was like, that's too high, Kate. <laughs> I would have guessed 30 as well, though. I didn't okay. think it was that popular. I mean. I have no gauge for this. Apparently, this wasn't like one of his most popular stories. No. Uh, in that little interview that Rob Reiner did before the movie, he said, he was like, nobody really wanted to make this. He was like, not because it was bad, but Mm -hmm. just because it wasn't, apparently it's based on like Stephen King wrote it when he was like, I feel kind of trapped in writing one certain type of story. 
So he wrote, wrote this story to be like, sometimes it feels like this. Yeah. And so I guess people were like, oh, it's not your usual stuff. I'm not interested. And then Rob Reiner was like, excuse me, mm-hmm. I'll make it. Because he made Stand By Me, which yeah. is same same thing where it's not his usual stuff. So yeah. people were like, I don't care until it came out. And then people were like, oh, hell yeah, Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what happened. Nice. So yeah. Okay. Uh, a few fun facts. Just a few about the casting that made me laugh really hard. Um, so the part of Paul Sheldon was originally offered to... William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Richard Dreyfuss, and Gene Hackman, and Robert Redford. <laughs> Before it was offered to the guy who played it. And I read that, and it kept going, and I kept going, stop. At one point, one of the names just says twice. So they had offered it. They had offered it twice to William Hurt amazing and then one guy straight up accepted the last guy i think robert redford potentially had accepted and then he was like actually i don't have time and then it went amazing (laughs) incredible and they said they had nothing against him like it wasn't him at all it's just like they had all of these people in mind and then finally when they all said no he went fine (laughs) and he was like and he's great so i was like all right my first choice, buddy. Yeah, How you doing? First choice. <laughs> I just was like, you guys, this is so mean. I yeah. Just kept going. Yeah. Um, and then the part of Annie was actually offered to Angelica Houston mm, first, yeah. uh, and then Bette Midler. Huh. <laughs> yeah, Bette Midler said that she deeply regrets turning it down. And I was like, oh, well, this like right. catapulted Kathy Bates into stardom. So. Yeah, this was she was like relatively unknown. I can't remember who it was, but somebody had suggested her, and then yep. of course she was amazing. And the rest is history. I love Kathy Bates. She's uh, She's incredible. She's so good in this. Just she like, terrifies the shit out of me. Seriously, half my notes are just, oh, Kathy Bates. I know. Kathy most of my Bates. Most of my notes are just about her this time. I was like, lighting? Who cares? It's all about Kathy. <laughs> That's all I had time for. Um, and now it's time to summarize. Yes. Okay. A writer meets his biggest fan and things go wild <laughs> i was like where is that word going <laughs> I, I didn't know i started the sentence with no end in mind so i was I like, like he meets her way to do it and, and? <laughs> technically he's saved by his biggest fan yeah rescued uh-huh a kind napper Aww, is the trope a kind napper mm-hmm. we'll get to that in tropes it's very funny <laughs> I hope someday I have a biggest fan that's willing to kidnap me from my car. Okay, well, I wouldn't put that out into the universe. (laughs) (laughs) If you're my biggest fan, don't break my ankles. They're already so tender. If you're my biggest fan... Fan? My fan. (laughs) Fandom. (laughs) If you're my biggest fan, send me yarn. She's weaving now, boys. (laughs) She's weaving. Both so cool. <laughs> I'm just like painfully hip, you know, in that my hips hurt every time I see it. has like the most colorful, cool overalls on right now, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm learning to weave." So... <laughs> I say this is someone who crochets a lot, so I'm like, I don't know, I'm making fun of you. I would love to weave. All right, all right. I'm sorry, I went off the rails there. I I drug you off the rails. <laughs> and I like I... grabbed your hand and was like, "Come on!" And I said, "All right." <laughs> You're like, pull my arm, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. My eyes are crying. I'm not. (laughs) Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. After a serious car crash. Oh, (laughs) I 
pop Big old my ring. ring. <laughs> yeah. Chonky ring. It is. Uh, after a serious car crash, novelist Paul Sheldon is rescued by former nurse Annie Wilkes, who claims to be his biggest fan. I don't think she's claiming anything. I, don't I think, think she's she is. <laughs> she is. Annie brings him to her remote cabin to recover, where her obsession takes a dark turn when she discovers Sheldon is killing off her favorite characters. Nope. Sheldon is killing off her favorite character from his novels. As Sheldon devises plans for escape, Annie grows increasingly controlling, even violent, as she forces the author to shape his writing to suit her twisted fantasies. Oh, she's so scary. She's so scary. So scary. God. That's not a bad one. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to shift this. My, yeah, shift it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part about this is how she talks, and we'll get to that. I can't wait when we get to uh, horror, but. I have tropes for that. I can't wait. I assumed you would, and I was like, oh. Um, it's challenging because when there is either a series or an adaptation, mm-hmm. it lumps them all together. Yeah. So the tropes page for the movie oh. is the same as the tropes page for the novel. Oh. So it will often be like in the novel, blank, in the film, blank, where oh, it like each tough. trope it breaks it down. But there are some where it's like, this is not relevant at all because this was only in the novel. Right. So you're like, I, fuck, yeah. what? <laughs> and I also determined I'm never going to read the novel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it. No one likes to. I'm in tr- <laughs> Wait, why? Is it worse? Like, um, there are just some, the, the Stephen King things that he does. Ah, yeah. Um, some stuff that I really don't enjoy. In, like, I might get to this more later, but a lot of this film, like, the novel was partially about how he felt, like, written into a corner type thing, but also about addiction and, like, cocaine. Oh, okay. And how Annie is kind of like cocaine. Right. And, uh... The so. novel, the main character, Paul, does become addicted to the pain relievers that she's giving him, the novel. I see. Okay. Um, and then instead of hobbling him by clubbing oh, his foot. Oh, off his Yeah. Foot. And he almost dies of blood loss. Yeah. Um, there's a lot in the book mm-hmm. that I'm just not super interested uh. in. It's, the amputation doesn't bother me as much as the right, <laughs> addiction like, and like... Yeah. You know. Right. Um, and then also the way that Annie is characterized in the book. Yeah. I always, I guess, fear how women are in his books. Yeah. Like how I will, I don't know. I feel like the movie, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm like, distilled now, it like lessened the misogyny some. Which okay. Which is saying something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, I haven't read it, but based on what I have read about right. it, I'm not invested in all right maybe it. i'm less interested then i'm Dang. sorry I didn't no it's okay <laughs> i mean i should have known especially since the main character is like a woman <laughs> sorry about that i had to burp <laughs> but yeah since it's a woman i should have known that it wouldn't be great but whatever what do you think okay. i'm gonna talk about for next <laughs> corner <laughs> uh i want to say like obsess obsessive like behavior or like something like that but i you're close am i really this time i yeah i was like fan culture like potentially how it like changes media is that i'm talking about fandom yeah Yeah. okay 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 (laughs) okay there were so many options as per usual yeah uh but i reached out to emily and i did get her permission to say her name (laughs) she literally before i came here she goes you're about to hear my expertise and i was like what did you talk about? Mm-hmm. And she was like, you're going to hear what I talked about. And in my head, I'm like, I have no idea. And then as soon as you said fandom, I went, that's what Emily yep. talked about. I reached out to her. I was like, I need your wisdom. Cause I've watched the first third of this show. And I know you've watched all of this show. Um, so there's so much that she bestowed upon me wisdom wise that I'm saving for mm-hmm. another nerd corner because I wanted to focus more on like 
we'll get to it. We'll yeah, get to I'm it. I'm excited. But it I, was, I'm so excited. She was like, I'm sorry. That was a lot. I was like, please go on. <laughs> I was like, I love I this I knew shit. she had given something interesting because yeah. she kept telling me, she's like, you're going to hear something. Yeah. And I was like, what did you talk about? <laughs> good things. Good things. I'm so pumped. Yeah. Okay. So this week we're taking a look at fandom and misogyny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. And we're going to start off right with entomology. Oh, yeah. Entomology. Not entomology. That's bugs. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, we are? No. Damn. No bugs. I'm <laughs> sorry. Okay. Etymology, study of words, entomology, study of insects. Okay. We're it's not fine. doing insects today. But I had to like write them out side by side to be like, where's the end? <laughs> where's it go? Where's it go? <laughs> and it's fitting because his typewriter doesn't have an end. Oh, yeah. Uh, just my favorite joke. That is really funny. <laughs> I'll fill in the ends for you. Yeah. Like, I was Whoa. like, oh my God. <clears throat> God damn. Okay. Oh, that was good. Before we even get to fandom though. Yeah. We have to start with fan. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get to etymology of the word fan. Or as Kate says it, fanned. Her biggest fan. <laughs> Entomology of fanned. <laughs> she can't figure out those ends. Really can't. He can't put any. You put too many. I do. <laughs> you know how it goes. So there's mm-hmm. disagreement on the origin of fan as we use mm-hmm. it. The way we understand fan yeah. is that it's someone who's passionate about a given topic, mm-hmm. object, person, group, etc. They're characterized by their emotional and sometimes fiscal investment in a given noun but is fan short for natic or fantasy oh or is it even derived from the fans that move air yeah Let right i was like which one is it possibly all three so oh. the first theory suggests that it ultimately derived from the latin phantom mm-hmm. i never took latin i'm not even trying to say these correctly so if i'm wrong i don't care okay like i say every time you could say it and i would never know just say oh yeah it's outside and i go oh, okay I don't know. <laughs> I'm like invested in getting words in current languages. Right. Correct. Like correct. Yep. And like medical terminology and the things that have bearing on the world. The things that are like, you know, really important. And in Latin, I'm like. But no one's hurt by me mispronouncing <laughs> phantom. I think they're okay. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that refers to a temple or sacred place. Okay. This gave way to the modern Latin fanaticus, which means insanely but divinely inspired, which a uh, quick nod to her statement on the Sistine Chapel and his work, and that they're the only two divine oh, things in all of existence. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, they're, oh, we'll get to it later. It's in tropes, I think. Is awesome. it? It's somewhere. It's I wrote somewhere. it somewhere. I wrote these like a week ago. <laughs> uh, fanaticus would make its way into English as fanatic in 1550. Oh, wow. And fanatic was then defined as, quote, an excessive enthusiasm and often intense, uncritical devotion. Wow. So okay. that's theory one. Yeah. I'm less fond of the second theory, most because. Most because. Most because. Most because. I kind of like it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm less fond of the second theory, mostly because I don't really care about baseball. <laughs> okay. I love baseball. I hate baseball. I find it very boring. Uh, I love baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll like this then. Okay, I'm ready. <clears throat> uh, this theory traces a path back to 1822. Mm-hmm where an essayist was describing the excessive enthusiasm of someone who loved watching boxing matches and referred to that feeling as the fancy. In 1851, a New York Times article covering a courtroom brawl mentioned sports betting and invoked the fancy again. But in 1871, an article in the New York Times said that, quote, baseball is all the rage among the fancy young men of the city. But following this line ultimately brings us back to two different quotes from the 1880s. Interesting. So in 1883... Ted Sullivan said he invented the term fan when he recalled listening. My verb tenses are rough. (laughs) I'm just going to say when he recalled listening to a baseball enthusiast reciting stats and boring him to tears. And he said, quote, he is a fanatic. I will abbreviate the word and call him a fan. Oh, 
1885, the Kansas City Times said, quote, of course a fan is a fanatic. But still, some people will say that these two instances still support the fancy theory. Right. And that the phrase baseball fan was already common parlance and the linking of fan to fanatic was a witty linking of an existing right. term to a less complimentary one. So it wasn't yeah. like the original so, like, fancy word. was already there, but then they were like, well, also fanatic. Yeah. And they were like, might as well. And they were like, okay. call him a fan. What if it's short for fanatic? Ha right. got you. Got him. Zing. <laughs> I don't know. A real zinger. Yeah. Uh, and then the final theory. I'll let the BBC tell you. Yes, Quote. Please. But what about fan, meaning something for blowing air with? That comes from the Latin word vanus, originally a shovel or basket for tossing and winnowing grain. It has even been suggested that sports fans were originally spectators who fanned themselves, or more rudely, that they were so-called because they were windbags. <laughs> In my head, when you said, we're going to also talk about maybe like the fan, like that blows wind, and I went, because we're the wind beneath the wings <laughs> of the people we love. And you were like, no, no, no. Fair enough. <laughs> oh fuck okay that was good so aside from the fact that i love etymology i wanted to dig into the possible origins of the word to give a little peek into the connotation of fan Mm -hmm. because denotation is like the definition of the word in the dictionary right connotation is like the emotions attached to it yeah and those vary uh so we have the singular unit a fan what about a large number of fans existing on their own and being excited about a thing that's a fan base. Yeah. It does not or it does not imply or require any action. It just states that they like the thing. Right. What different, differentiates a fan base from a fandom is action. Do the fans gather in memorabilia, create cosplays, converse and potentially debate in online communities, attend cons, etc. They like the thing. They identify as part of a community that likes the thing. Mm-hmm. But then they also do things. Right. Um <laughs> Good nouns. Uh, <laughs> there are also <laughs> definitely divisions within fandoms. Yeah. Because, like, I know you're familiar with fandom. Right. Uh, but if anyone's like, oh, this is a new word for me, I just want to break it down some right, more. Right, I get it. So fandoms are not uh, monolith. <laughs> there mm. are divisions within fandoms. Right. So if you're a Twilight fan, you're Team Edward or Team Jacob. Arguably, this division made more sense in the time before Breaking Dawn, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, we'll get there. It's fine. And this is where I brought in... Um, Oh, Emily. Emily. Because I was like, okay, listen, I have been watching a lot of Supernatural. It's top of mind. And the only two um, ships that I know are Destiel and Wincest. And I really hate mm-hmm. talking about Wincest uh, <laughs> because it's Winchester, Incest, it's shipping Sam I was and like, what together. is that? Yeah. I haven't seen Supernatural. So. Yeah. Um, I don't ship that. No, I, yep. If you were I'm not surprised in, it's a thing. I'm yeah. just... I used to be on Super Who Lock Tumblr, and <laughs> I just stayed away. Oh, boy. <laughs> Actually, yeah. you know what? I think I was, too, but on accident. Like, yeah. I think I liked one Supernatural post, and they were like, we know what you need. And I was like, ah! Yo. Oh, no. I was on Tumblr for, like, one summer, and it was the Super Who Lock summer. I love a Tumblr, though. Yeah. They're going wild. They are. Everyone from Twitter is like, are we invited to the party? No. <laughs> Not that I'm invited either, but No. <laughs> Uh, so I went to Emily and I was like, can you tell me another ship? And she was like, well, those are the two main ones. But then she also told me about how the ships and fandom activity can actually influence the direction of the show. I hope this talks about what I think it's going to talk about. I might be saving that for later. Okay. With the Team Wolf one. Oh, Team Wolf! Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. That's one of my, uh, it's one of the worst ships and one of the most wild and yeah. So. Yeah, so I'm keeping that in my back pocket okay, or one of my three front it. pockets. One of your many pockets. <laughs> yeah, I have so many pockets. It's a wild one, so I can't wait yeah. to talk about it. But when you said you talked to her, I was like, Timo? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Because uh, I, the way that, 
Emily and I were talking a lot about the influence of fandom on the show. And yes. what I wanted to cover this week is the perception of the fans oh, okay. within fandom. Cool. I like so that I was like, I'm definitely going to bring this back. Right. Though. So she imparted indispensable wisdom. It was great. She's and amazing. I'm super excited to like circle back to that part of it. So talking about fandom could be an entire fucking podcast. And I'm positive yeah. that there are podcasts about oh, it. Oh, I'm sure. Not just people. It's very interesting. Yes. Uh, one of my uh, grad school colleagues mm-hmm. is like her uh thesis is on like i don't remember if it actually still is this i haven't talked to her about like her topic specifically but when i was in school with her it was around like the fandom culture of a specific like i think it might have been sherlock and like over the years yeah uh i'll talk to her about it it's wild yeah but uh it's not just about like people in the fandom being excited or analytical but an examination of the fandom and treatment of the fandom itself right and this is where I'll kind of draw a line between what I'm covering today and what mm-hmm. I could cover in the future. Yeah. Uh, there are very real examples of harm caused by fandom activities. Yeah. Internalized misogyny, racism, homophobia, and more have led to not only changes within the canon universe, but the lives of the actors. Yes. And that's what we'll cover, cover on its own yeah, someday. time. Yeah. Uh, I'm not focusing on that today. Instead, I want to examine some ways that, one, people are viewed as belonging to a fandom or an unwelcome interloper. Yeah. And two, which fandoms garner respect and which receive only derision. From there, we can check out some good, good misogyny in the depiction of romance lit fandom. Oh, yeah. Starting with the first one. Who is allowed to be in the fandom and who is considered legitimate? Mm-hmm. How does that vary by media and genre? If you identify as a woman and you like sports, comics, or sci-fi, you're going to have to prove that you belong in that space. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's not like an entry test to be in the club, but it's like a daily challenge. Mm-hmm. Oh, you like sports. What was the name of the OSU coach in 94? Did he have a dog? If it's comics, people are going to ask you about the MCU multiverse numbers. If you like Star Wars, you're just here because Adam Driver's hot. I bet you don't even know the origin of droids. Like, people just... The fandom gatekeeping by white cis men has been exhausting. (laughs) And I haven't even gotten to Gamergate yet. I know. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. So it's like, if you were assigned female at birth, if you were socialized as one, like, if you identify as, like, femme, like, you have... Or not just femme, but, uh, like, you have probably experienced gatekeeping around fandom. And it's excessive and exhausting anyway it's exhausting now for gamergate which Ugh. just you know wind beneath my wings it's time for gamergate <clears throat> yeah i bet you didn't know we were gonna talk about gamergate when we said we were doing misery <laughs> i know i'm like writing through my notes and like getting into it i was like what movie are we covering <laughs> gamergate now <laughs> yeah uh so i don't have time to get into all of the specifics but the quick and dirty is this in 2014, some cis men got pissed about women, feminists, and progressivism in general, but specifically as it influenced video games or how they perceived it to be yeah. influencing video games. Right. They claimed to champion ethics and journalism around video games and protecting the gamer, identi- gamer identity, okay. and they opposed political correctness. Uh, it lacked coherent organization, among other things. Uh, but it usually does. It, yep. It did manage to launch online harassment campaigns against feminist media critic Anita Sarkeesian and some women or genderqueer folks who work in video game development, namely right. Zoe Quinn and Brianna Wu. Yeah. They were not the only targets by oh, any no. means. But they're some of the better known ones who have spoken out about their experiences. Right. Uh, they were doxxed. Their private photos and contacts were linked. Linked? Leaked. Yeah. The ends. Again. Uh, they get you. I know. <laughs> Uh, so docs, private photos, contacts leaked. They received rape threats and death threats, and several fled their homes because the threats were so specific and frequent. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Yeah. There was another example of, uh, I think 
he was like he had a project and he spoke out critically against Gamergate and people doxed him so bad that he abandoned the project he was working on and quit the studio or like closed the studio. And it's not just like people who write for games, like women or people like are people sign up like what am I trying to say? Assign <laughs> <laughs> female at birth. Mm-hmm. But like anyone who in any way is like feminine or whatever in this yeah. like you will get treated like shit. Oh yeah. For everything you do. Because voice actors. We talked about this a little bit. Mention Laura Bailey later. Yes. Laura Bailey is treated like shit for characters that she plays. Not characters she wrote, not characters that she has anything to do with other than portraying, and she gets death threats. I have that in like Good. two sentences. I'm excited. Yeah. I, I assumed you would, but I got Because I love Laura Bailey yes. harp sounds. I, uh, <laughs> there's nothing, you know I love voice acting. Yes. There's nothing I love more than like people who put their all into it, yeah. but that doesn't mean they have anything to do with how this character is written. If you don't like where the story goes, that sucks. Yeah. Don't fucking blame, but they do, and mm-hmm. especially women. Sorry, nope. continue? Yep. I'll let you go. I'm just <laughs> mad now. This is a free space to just like, <laughs> I feel safe here. <laughs> Gamergate wasn't organized by like a set group of people mobilizing in a pre-planned way. It was a right. series of online harassment and doxing mm-hmm. attacks against people who threatened what they perceived as gamer identity and a politics-free space as if that could exist. And the reason I bring up Gamergate at all is to show how toxicity within a fandom can cause real harm. While not directly related to Gamergate, Laura Bailey received fucking death threats because of the characters she voiced in The Last of Us Part Two. Her children were receiving threats. Someone even threatened her toddler. Yeah, sorry. I'm yep. sorry. <laughs> no, it's like, you know the thing, and we both know the thing. It's fucked up. And it's like, Ronan, I think, is her son's name. I don't know, but maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, people spoke out pretty, you know, vehemently against the threats that she received, but it doesn't change the fact that, like, she was threatened because her character did something they didn't like. Yeah. You can say more. <laughs> it's just absolutely wild. Yeah. I was like, this person played a voice for somebody. And instead of blaming anyone else, they were, I, I, and like, I don't know, I can't just sit there and say that, oh, it's because she's a woman. But it probably is. Yeah. They just, oh my God. And I feel like people are pissed anyway because The Last of Us focused on two women. So then they were like, well, who else can we harass? Probably the people who played the voice. Pissed me off. Is Troy Baker the one that played the male lead? Yes. Okay. Because his character also did some shady shit, but mm-hmm. because of the way we're introduced to his arc, we don't get the same. We don't care. No. I haven't played these games. I just read a lot about I them. I played them. I was literally playing it while all of this was happening. So I was very much like, what the fuck? Yeah. And it's wild because I think the story is fine. Yeah. If anything, I would complain that, like, it's a little long. But you can't blame a voice actor for that. Mm-mm. I don't know. It just drove me wild. Did you know that Laura Bailey poisoned their crops, wrote The Last of Us <laughs> Part 2? <laughs> she went to every person who bought, you know, yeah. The Last of Us Part 2 and yeah. she spit on them. And that's why they're so mad. And then she left. And then she laughed. Yeah. So Glorious that's, yeah. can you believe it? Can you believe it? So fucking stupid. <laughs> Sorry. And <laughs> you makes me so mad. When you talked about fandom, I went, should you talk about Laura Bailey? Because I'm going to talk about Laura Bailey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm always going to talk about Laura oh. Bailey. <laughs> if I ever get the chance. I don't even watch Critical Role. I don't know anything about it. But I would die for that woman just because of how shitty she has been treated with this. I'm like, yep. nope. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. And that goes for any voice actor that gets shit for yep. shit they don't deserve. Yep. 
and anybody else. But I'm just saying. <laughs> Voice actors, I love you and you don't deserve some of the shit you get. No. Ugh. So women and genderqueer folks in video games have always had that added scrutiny and they're constantly forced to defend the validity of entering that fan yeah. space. But it can also escalate into emotional and physical violence. So that's side one of gender and fandom and examines the gatekeeping of yeah. fandoms. Side two focuses on the fandoms that are coded as feminine and belittled accordingly. Oh so, while there are many such fandoms that are seen as the domain of teen girls, I'm going to focus on boy bands like One Direction. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> We're talking about misery. We're talking about misery, okay? Keep that in the back of your head. <laughs> I'm going to quote Lucy Blakiston, hmm. who was quoted in a Vogue article. Yeah. Uh, quote, why are young women screaming at a One Direction concert seen as hysterical, but grown men screaming at their inanimate TVs, rioting, and causing millions of dollars of damage seen as part of being a sports fan? I never once thought their interest in these sports was hysterical or something to be ashamed about. My interest in One Direction, on the other hand, was seen as juvenile and embarrassing. A girl can't like sync, okay? Back in the day, I was made fun of hardcore for uh -huh. being super into the Backstreet Boys. But these people can... D men can destroy destroy so much public property because sports team lost and be like that's sports for you flipping cars fucked up mm -hmm. <laughs> oh we dig into that <laughs> oh good there is a game happening right now and kate and i both were like fucking stupid like, yeah <laughs> we live in a very big college town with a yep. very big college team so yes <laughs> and the biggest game of the year is happening the biggest game right of the year is happening and we were like oh god <laughs> it's a nightmare safely north of it i had to pick up emily actually from the airport and i was like there better not be traffic there wasn't thank no. god but i was like i, swear I went god. to target this morning and i was like the day after god black speed. friday how and was that right when a game's oh it was empty oh my god really? it was sublime yeah i oh, incredible because like, everyone was already Fucking tailgating. Yep. Yeah, and everyone had shopped yesterday. Yeah. I don't fuck with Black Friday. No, I do not. <laughs> no. Okay, I'm getting off topic, but... Sorry, but yeah. Uh, I, I'm i going to get further off topic is what I'm saying. <laughs> I just wanna, I'm just letting you <laughs> yeah, know yeah. where we're going. Um, I follow a lot of slime makers on mm -hmm. Instagram, and two of them didn't offer, like, Black Friday deals. Right. And it's like, they have a small business. Like, yes, they sell out, but it also, like, they own a business that but has fewer so than like 20 like, employees and right. like they built it themselves like everything they have is going into the shop some of them are even smaller than that right and people in their comments yesterday were like where the fuck is the black friday deal like what's your sale and she was like hey like i i don't know if you're confused <laughs> i never like said that i was going to offer a sale and like i consistently sell out so there isn't really a reason for me to offer a sale right like and aside from the fact that she's fucking right you also can't expect local or small businesses to cater to like that capitalist hellscape and it's like Dear how God. dare you just because giant corporations can be like here's a tv for a nickel doesn't mean like you can't expect no small today is technically small business saturday saturday yeah. so like if you want to support a small business you don't expect a sale you just mm -mm. do it because you, just do it. you like the product yeah. and you care about the business that makes me so mad. Yeah. I had to like get off Instagram for a while. I would have been like, oh, it takes everything I have not to argue with people. And then I go, what's the point? They're not going to listen. But oh boy. Because <laughs> they do it all the time to like female owned small businesses. Yes. And like it's... minority owned small businesses. <sighs> mm -hmm. And it's like stop demanding Black Friday sales or just Why? sales in general. Just because stop. If you like it, yourself. buy it. <laughs> yeah. And there are so many people in the comments being like, oh, I wish I could afford slime. Could you send me some? And I was like. I have been paycheck Girl, to paycheck. Girl, go make slime. <laughs> I have had $3 in my bank account. I don't make it the problem of this slime no. purveyor. No. Not their fault. And I don't get mad at them. Because, like, 
there was one person in her comments just like repeatedly commenting on every other comment. Girl, being like, if you want slime that bad, <laughs> go fucking make it. Yeah. You just like, need glue and borax and water, basically. There you go. Have fun. <laughs> Have fun. Figure it out. God damn. I got mad. We're talking about misery. We're talking about misery. <laughs> <laughs> Someday we'll talk about misery, but for yeah. now, tune into the Patreon to hear some slime content. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> uh, so the Vogue article that I pulled that quote from mm-hmm. uh, expands upon the question and offers a response from Matisse Dupont, an educator out of Boston. Dupont points out that gender disparities in fandom and the worth of said fandom stems from what is seen as the default state of being. And that sounds lofty, but it's yeah. really not that philosophical. <laughs> uh, it can actually be easier to explain science-wise. Yeah. I think that I have talked about this before, mm-hmm. but honestly, we've done like... We've done a lot. Is this 69? Nuh-uh. Is Hold this on. 69? It might be 68. It might be 68. Guys, I think we're okay. I just need to look real quick. If it's 69, I need to, I need to celebrate. 68. We're good. Oh, okay. Thank so, God. As long as we did uh, the invitation last time. Whew. Yes, yeah. we did. Okay, cool. We're good. Cool. Uh, I have in our spreadsheet 69. Nice. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm going to bring a noisemaker. <laughs> oh, we got champagne. <gasps> oh, we should. Hey, <laughs> I'm so excited. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> we should toast to misery. Uh, I have that in my notes later because they like, let's toast to oh misery. God, and I was like, we do. should toast to misery. Okay. I might need something else then because it's gone. But Would you like more? Yeah. All yeah. right. <laughs> so we can toast to misery. All right. We can toast to misery now. A toast to misery. Cheers. Okay. <laughs> now we there we go. Now we can get back into it. Do you remember when we took a shot for um Heather? Yeah. That, that was great. I we remember more shots in my for closet. more people that we like. <laughs> Absinthe was right there. Who deserves it in this one? Uh Kathy Bates. Oh, you know who I think deserves it? The sheriff. Yeah. The wife, the sheriff's wife. We'll talk about She's them. a horn dog and I love her. I can't wait to talk about them. I'm okay, so sorry. Okay, continue. Yeah. This is a real omen episode. It really is. <laughs> if you don't know what that means, go listen to the omen. Go listen to mass. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So if we actually like look back mm-hmm. to the way that gender has been described like medically. Right. Uh, there were people that were like, okay, well, the default like status of human is to have a penis. And then if you don't have a penis, then it's inverted. And that is <laughs> basically, Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you don't have a penis. Yes, you do. It's inside. <laughs> you just tucked it up in there. Oh, uh, so there's like that theory yeah. of like the way that human anatomy is or is not like right. a natural set point. Uh, and then historically, most medical studies have that most medical studies that weren't about pregnancy right. or ovaries uh, were only performed on people born with penises. So oh dang. Aside from the fact that like there are very few medical studies that involve pregnant women because like if you're doing a medical study there is potential for risk right and they don't want pregnant folks to be like involved in the study which is another thing yeah it's like uh i actually hadn't thought about it like a ton until like my research on like pregnancy right death and then like i knew someone that was pregnant during covid and was talking about like getting the shot and it's like well they didn't test on People that have like yeah, of something, someone growing inside them, right? Because I that is wild. I yeah. never thought of that. Yeah, so it's harder to like get data on medicine, right? Yeah, it would be. Wow. And like, if one of the things that we studied in psych was constantly like, okay, well, this study from the 1900s says this, but also the entire sample was at um, a boys' boarding school yeah. in Connecticut. So of course, 
Yeah. yeah. So a bunch of psychological studies, medical studies, primarily focused on people with penises. Right. Because they're seen as the default. So everything should just like... Uh, well, that was how ADHD was so yes. controversial. Not controversial, but because it's so different for women. Yep. No one understood that it would come with like a lot of different things for girls than it would for boys yep. like, at a young age. And that's what fucked me up as a kid. It's like I had depression and all these things. And they're like, well, it's tied to ADHD. Of course it is. Yeah. They didn't know that at the time. Because of course it was all boys. Yep. Wild. <laughs> yeah. So like we'll tie this back to fandom <laughs> we're getting uh, there relax <laughs> so like most of the samples yeah. for medical and psychological and other types of studies yeah. were on people born with penises right and so like they just assumed like oh it'll map over onto like the other half of the and it universe. fucking doesn't all the time like because socialization is a different thing yeah and like there's also like i think one percent of all babies are born intersex Uh-oh. and it, uh it's really common like it yeah. doesn't have to be like visual anatomy it can also right. be like chromosomes anyway right. i spent like a fair chunk of time talking to intersex babies <laughs> <It's just> interesting. <laughs> uh da-da-da. anyway so having a penis is being seen as like the default for humanity yeah being born with a uterus or non-binary sex organs is seen as an aberration inherently an other yeah binary male becomes synonymous with normal mm. and anything outside of that is abnormal right everything builds out from there socialization education nurturing of hobbies and skills etc Anything associated with the normal human state is valued, and anything associated with others is devalued and derided. So the music that is popular among cis men and boys is celebrated and deemed worthy of acclaim. The music that is favored by teen girls or anyone that does not identify as a cis man or boy is seen as lesser. So as a summary of that, the article says, quote, gender-based disparities within the world of fandom exist because cis-set men have largely been considered the standard in most societies. Yeah. DuPont adds, quote, as a consequence, their interests become the default. Affiliation with the fandom of men's sports is often seen as leverage to gain access to spaces where men dominate and have power. Cultural tropes like the cool girl, who isn't like other girls because she loves sports, often exist to disparage feminine interests in favor of masculinely coded ones. This also makes it impossible for women to have a vested interest in sports without becoming part of the boys club. Like, when I was a kid, I loved football. Like, I loved OSU football specifically, but, like, I wasn't allowed to. Or if I talked about it, then I'd be fucking quizzed. And so... On the Friday before a game at the breakfast table, I'd like have my dad. I was like, okay, who are we playing? Do you think we'll win? What do you think their biggest strength is? And then I would like have something Mm -hmm. to say. Aside from the fact that I went to the games and liked watching it, I also had to come prepared with facts so that when, I almost said his name, pissed me off. Uh, When he was like, (laughs) oh, you like football? And I was like, yeah, I actually think that their tight end is going to be a real problem for us because X, like... I just, it was it sucks you, yeah, you can't like something without having to prove that you like it. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, how it always was when I was young playing video games. Yeah. Video games, classic being rock. A, yeah. Being a little gamer, not fun as a kid when you're yeah. a girl because people were constantly like, oh yeah, well, what do you play? How do you play? What do you do this? Blah, blah, Do you have you beat it like this? Like mm-hmm. there's no way to like something without someone being a dick about it. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Emily talked about that, like with mm-hmm. comics, because she oh, knows um, oh, more yeah. about comics than anyone I've she ever met in my entire life. She knows more about comics, truly, yes, yeah. than more, anyone I know. I have never met someone that knows. She's more about incredible. Comics than oh, God, yeah. Uh, and then there was another thing that she said that I was going to talk about, but then my brain stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll come back later. Who's yeah. to say? Uh, so music and sports are just two realms where fandom membership is gendered. But what's another one? Romance novels. Yeah. 
perhaps romance novels featuring Misery Chastain. So I think it's relevant that Paul loathes his own romance novels, displays right. disdain for the genre generally, and that his violent and unpredictable number one fan is a woman. Right. The genre is coded as something women enjoy. Mm-hmm. We have a woman who gets too invested in the novels and is just unwell as a whole. And we have the novelist who is the reasonable party in the right. scenario. This is not a defense of Annie Wilkes by any means. Right. <laughs> uh, I mentioned the violence arising from toxic fandom for a reason. Mm-hmm. Annie Wilkes does not demonstrate positive fan engagement. One right. <laughs> but to me, she falls on both sides of the line. So yes. the elements of toxic fandom occur in universe. Mm-hmm. And the misogynistic undertones of women in fandom is happening at the filmic and societal level. Right. It's worth saying at this point that when Stephen King wrote Misery, he intended for the character of Annie Wilkes to be a stand-in for addiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, How would the tone of the movie change, though, if the number one fan was not a woman? Would Annie's anger be read differently? How would it temper our expectations or the specific types of dread and fear that are leveraged? Because her, like, docile nature is used to set up this tension and then her anger becomes all the more alarming by the juxtaposition of her, like, femininity and also, like, her not cursing. I think it also would change the beginning because, like, she is shown as a caregiver in the beginning and that's... When you say nurse, people automatically think woman. Yep. So, of course, for her to be a nurse, it wasn't weird at all. But if this was a man, somebody immediately would have been like, that's a red flag. That's weird. Yep. Which it's not. You know. In any way, you know? If he was, if the character of Annie Wilkes was Arthur Wilkes, he would have been a doctor. Yes. We just know, like, that's how it's You written. know it would have been a doctor. Yeah. But even then, a man being a, any kind of caregiver for another man would have been considered weird. Yes. Like, there would have been immediate people being like, that's so weird. I knew immediately that she was, there. he was going to be evil. Yep. That's how it would have gone. Yeah. So. It's wild. I wanted to start off with, like, what is a fan? Yeah. And then say, like, there's fandom like struggle of like belonging to a fandom and then there's also just the way that fandoms are viewed and like romance novels i spend a lot of time on bookstagram yeah and the way that romance novels are seen as like fluff or like just basically nothing and it's infuriating because they can do so much fucking work they're great like (laughs) Like uh oh i need to see if the strike is still on um i swear this is related uh Harper Collins union is mm-hmm. striking or at least they were as of a few yeah. days ago um and so all of their imprints they're asking like book reviewers to not like release reviews until you know right. cross the picket line um so there's a book that is a historical romance novel that is one of those imprints and I want to give it a very good review right because it's written by a woman of color and it's about like colonialism and it's yeah it's a historical romance novel but it's also about white supremacy, colonialism, power differentials. It's incredible. I highly recommend it. Can't say the name yet. (laughs) Right. Because, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, because I support the union. Right. Um, But once, you know, the union gets what they Mm -hmm. need, I will write a review for that book. Hell yeah. But what does it mean that he's writing a romance novel and that he hates it and that he feels trapped by it? What does it mean that it's, like, male author female mm-hmm. fan so like all these things oh, i bumped my mic Classic. i got real angry <laughs> it happens it's interesting to look at the way that fandom interacts with gender yeah. and misogyny and the differences from the novel to the film yeah. but like to me i there was just no way of talking about misery without talking about misogyny you and can, then also yeah. like bringing up how do we view fandom how are people either welcomed into or ostracized from fandoms and like what fandoms are seen as worthy? 
So that's the site. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got so heated in that one. I, <laughs> as soon as he said the gamer gate, I was like, well, here we go. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to activate your rage. <laughs> I know. As a gamer who's been a girl my um, whole life, uh, it sucks. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> so I was like, yep. All right. I'm ready. <laughs> if you say that you enjoy any game that is not Call of Duty or any kind of fighting game, Mm-mm you aren't a gamer. Mm-mm. If I say I like Stardew or Animal Crossing or any other game, people will be like, no, you're not. You're not a gamer. Mm-hmm. But then if I say I love God of War, I'll be like, oh, I fucking yeah. love God of War. They'll be like, oh, really? How did you do that? Oh, it sucks. <laughs> Being a fandom, it fucking sucks, guys. You can't it be a fan sucks. of anything. No. Uh, not if you're from a marginalized community. Nope. <laughs> Uh, God, there's the like, oh, you're just trying to like impress, like you're just trying to be like. Who a am I trying girl. to impress? I'm a lesbian. <laughs> who do you who do you think this is for? <laughs> My God. I mean, well, I don't look cold. <laughs> the, the misunderstood bisexual in the corner. <laughs> but who? Also, you though. Like, yeah, yeah. don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I just think it's funny. Yeah, that does. <sighs> Like it's not for you. <laughs> God. Oh, that got me. <laughs> All right. To talk about horror. <laughs> I will say, I feel like I didn't focus on anything but the acting in this mm-hmm. one, so I'm really sorry about that. Just to give you a big old warning. Literally, that's all I talked about. Excellent. I have one thing that I find very interesting yeah. that they did that I was like, I feel like I haven't seen a movie do that in a, a, a long time. Okay. Or it's not very often, I guess, that I don't see it. But we'll get to it. I'll open my dang note. I meant to say Kathy Bates is creeping me out immediately. And I wrote Kathy Nate. (laughs) Classic Kathy Nate. But no, Kathy Bates, she's incredible from the very beginning. She has an energy that is like so loving and caring from the very start. That continues throughout, but gets like more unsettling as it Mm -hmm. goes. But doesn't necessarily like change. You know what I mean? It's weird. She keeps certain personality traits that are like endearing from the start and then all of a sudden they're not endearing and it's weird it's like how do you keep these things and they change like it's so cool it's just interesting the range and like emotional depth that she gets in her face yes it's like she was able to make us realize that she was obviously unwell and like a a person to be frightened of just from certain little tiny facial tics or this or that like little things that she was scary i loved her very much um love the husband and wife deputy sheriff duo my absolute favorites i'm obsessed they're who i'm going to talk about later about why it's so strange i love them they're so good they are a comedic relief they are they're incredible yeah and then one is a hope spot later they're so funny um i did say this and then i said not actually but i did hate it um but scariest moment was kathy bates pretending to be a pig that part freaked me out i accidentally had to take that well i didn't accidentally have to take it back. <laughs> i had to take it back and i was distraught yeah because uh i had to take it back to hear something she said and i had to watch her oink at him again yeah. and i was like <laughs> it's just unsettling it's the like but again it goes back to the social norms yeah this is this whole movie is social norms just being taken to an extreme of like yeah, like, of course she helped him, but then everything got weird, and it, it's just all things that aren't, it's the Uncanny Valley and the social norms meeting, I feel yeah. like, where she's not that wild until she is, but then there's that those few moments where she's fine, and yeah, I don't know, 
it, it rides this little roller coaster of like, we're okay, we're not, we're okay, we're not. And it keeps you constantly thinking, what is happening? <laughs> what is going to happen next? And what, what is she doing? And yeah, they really humanized her too. It's yeah. like someone who like, I mean, she's unwell. She's been burned before too by things in her life. And they make you like feel for her. I think originally they wanted her to be like less sympathetic mm. is what they said, I think. But then Kathy Bates came in and they were like, no, you know what? This is working actually. She's very, very human and yeah. very, you can see things in her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are parts of her that you could see yourself in. But um, I <laughs> she says dirty birdie so many times. It's one of my eight scales. It's one of my, <laughs> yeah. You dirty birdie. I was like, hell yeah, girl. I don't Cock-a-doody. know what I... <laughs> I don't know what I wrote this for, but I wrote, know your limits, girl. And it's like, there's a few parts where she was like, I have to leave. Like... <laughs> yep. I think it's best that I don't see you for That was a while. it. That was it. I was Set like... Set boundaries, girl. I was like, girl, hell yeah. Set those healthy boundaries. She was just like, you know what? I'm too angry. She mm-hmm. knew her limits. Yes, I, I respect that. that. I respect that. Uh, when she's shaking the bed, though, and yelling at him, it's so scary. Yeah. It's how fast she goes between, like, loving him and just absolutely hating everything yeah. that he's doing. It's like, I don't think she ever not, like, she always loves him, I think. is what makes it scariest, I think, is that she always has this, like, I love him very much. Yeah. But because of what he's done, she's like, I have to hurt him. And that is what is so, you know, I don't know, frightening, I think, and not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. And how she's going to feel in the moment and all that. Unpredictability. And it, and it's like, and it's hard because I hate that that is so scary. Yeah. Because also they're portraying that and mental illness also. Yes. So it's hard. This movie is scary. She is unpredictable and she is unsettling. But she's also just a very unwell woman. Yeah. And it's so hard to talk about this movie and be like, God, she's so scary. Because at the same time, I'm like, but that's that's just a very like heightened portrayal of mental yeah. illness that you are trying to make me scared of. And yeah, that's just a classic trope that I yeah. think has gone through so many movies. Yeah. And I think it's worth saying here that like the vast majority of people with mental illness are not violent. Yeah. So it's like, just like it's used as a trope and we yes. hate it. So like. When I'm saying she's scary, it's because, like, they are making her that way. They build up tension and dread. And, yeah. like, they are Things they are doing. Yeah. Camera angles, things they are doing with, you know, other things are also making her scary. It, it's unfortunate yeah. that it's her mental illness that is used to make her scary. So yes. I just want to say that now before yeah. I keep going. Because <laughs> oh, I no, was like, get, yeah. just so everyone knows, I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, she gets angry so fast. I mean, that's that's what makes her frightening in this movie and it's unfortunate but it is i said she's the queen of ginger snaps she's oh. just like me <laughs> she's as someone who gets angry very fast i was like i get it girl um but that's the thing that. like with the paper i mean it's it's a one second flip yeah he thinks he's doing something very clever to be like i'll get her back at the store but little does he know he's just made her so mad and it's and it's like but you don't know it's like I also hate being corrected. Right? I don't. I think I handle it better than when, Annie Wilkes. When you said that, I went. Honestly, I've been kind of pissed. Yeah. <laughs> when he does the smudge and he yep. writes it with the smudge and then goes, "See, I don't know why, but I was like, I kind of would have been angry as well. Yeah. I'd have been like, really? I went out in the cold and got you paper, and this isn't good enough. Fuck you. <laughs> I'd be like, 
You're writing in my little tiny kidnapping room, and that's not good enough. Pay rent, Paul. Right? And I'm like, why don't you cook me dinner, and then you can go pick your paper. But it's fine, Paul. Whatever. Andy looks as a landlord, pass it on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, gosh. Also, when... um, It's so weird, too. Like, uh, there are moments where she'll tell him to do something that we know is, is kind of wild and out there. But then once it's happening, she acts like she also is like, oh my, I can't believe this is happening with the burning of the book. When, oh, goodness. Oh, oh my goodness. Goodness. And it's like, you told him to do this, but now you're acting as if you, you're so surprised. And that's another thing that makes her so... Goodness gracious. Oh my, heavens to Betsy. Oh my yes! goodness. I wrote down everything. And so like, it kept going. It kept going. And it's always... You know, it's the no cursing. It's this. It's like she has these. We've talked about this a little bit before where it's like they have these weird ideals. Yeah. But murder is okay. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I can't remember when, but I know we have. Yeah. Where it's like they won't curse, but don't murder. Yeah. They'll break some ankles. Like whatever they have to do. Yeah. And I was like, that's so funny to me. I think that makes a villain so interesting is when they have these interesting ideals and stuff like that. This um, movie yeah. really reminds me of frailty in certain ways. That's what it was. Because there's like the yes. righteous violence. Yes. And that to me is very alarming because yes. that is something that we see a lot of in a variety of ways. Yes, because it's justified violence. It's violence where they're like, but it's not wrong yeah. because of this. Yeah. And it's, but it is. Because like, she's like, God told me to do this. Right. And in that frailty, was, I think it's like, talked about. God told me to get rid of the demons. <laughs> right. It's like, well, I can kill this person. God told me to. So it's yeah. fine. And they feel absolutely no remorse. Where I think she is similar. She does feel remorse in some ways. Where she knows that she's doing, like, where she gets angry at him. And she goes, I think I shouldn't see you for a while. Yeah. But then it escalates to the point where she's like, well, I think you have to die. Like, you have to. I, <sighs> personally, I find the, like, righteous villain more frightening yes. than the one that is just sadistic mm-hmm. because like a sadist it's like oh they just like my pain but right. someone that has like this mission that they're on and they feel like they're not doing something wrong right like, to me that level of like dissonance is stressful it's and i it's hate terrifying. it so like i hate in that like it gets me but i don't hate it and that i won't watch it right but, yeah. like it, it's terrifying because it's like both things where it's like there's they're sadists and they're also they're they're righteous like they're both not going to feel remorse but for different reasons yeah because one believes they're right and that's terrifying that's scarier one knows that they're doing something wrong so it's like at least that person knows that like this is fucked up but this person is like no i had to yeah that's fucked up i think about the dentist from um uh rock not rocky horror oh oh uh, little shop of horrors yes and it's like he's just a fucking sadist like that's just what he is that that's That's what drives him you know but then you have Annie Wilkes, who is like, I feel driven to do these things. And you won't know when you've stepped over the line until exactly. <laughs> you do it. And it, it's very frightening. I think she's a very interesting villain in this. Like, mental health stuff aside, yes. I think that the righteousness is what makes it also so frightening. Yeah. <laughs> when she's saying, like, God told me I had to continue writing. But it's not her. It's him. So it's it's so interesting and it's like from the beginning she has that cross necklace and like but even before she's like mentioning her mission from god Mm -hmm. and i don't know if like this just like hits extra hard because like i grew up going to church camp yeah but like how cursing was like taking the lord's name in vain and how like purity is also having like purity of mind and purity of thought and like purity of speech right (laughs) yeah and so it's like i am so familiar with that like 
dialogue and I see it and I'm like, oh, oh, the righteousness and the hypocrisy right at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, and you see it multiple times too. And I think it's so interesting when they show her getting in the car and she's yelling at that guy. And she, I don't know what she says, but she says, Cock-a-doody, that's it, you cock-a-doody. Like, yeah. And it's like, you're still having intense road rage for something that clearly, it looked in the moment that it was her fault. But I'm like, either way, the fact that she thought it was okay to get out of her car and yell at somebody. Yeah. But as long as she's not cursing, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Wild. So that's terrifying. Yes. Um, and then the ankle breaking scene, we all know that's terrifying. When the whole explanation of like, hobbling someone, blah, blah, blah it's unsettling. Um, also rooted in like yes. racism, and yes, slave labor. Like it was a lot of like, it's like, oh, you're really doubling down on this, huh? <laughs> he really went for it on that one. Uh huh. Um, I will say one of the lines that gets me the most was when she says, "God, I love you." I was like, ah, what is it? She does something right before. Terrible. Is it uh, the ankles? Ooh, hold on. It's something that she does right before or after something horrible. I have it in my notes. I don't remember which part it's in, but it's. I love you. I love your mind. That's what it is. Yeah. Like, it, but I, there's, mm. yeah, and there's that quiet moment where she does something and then she literally just says, God, I love you. Mm, and you're like, ugh. It's frightening. And then the it's lie that she's telling the sheriff is so creepy. I, yeah. Oh, uh, so what I'm seeing is, uh, she seems downcast as she feeds some soup. Mm-hmm. I know I'm only 40 pages into your book, The Swearing Paul. There, I said it. I'm skipping some lines, but it's yeah. like the profanity bothers you. It has no nobility. These are slum kids. They talk like that. Then she goes on a rant and spills tomato soup and see what you made me do. Cue Taylor Swift. Yeah. And it's a foreshadowing of her temper. And I love you, Paul. Your mind, your creativity. That's all I meant. Yeah. I'm sure that she says like, God, I love you at another she does. point. It, it, she does something really, really awful. I think it may be the ankles. I don't remember. But she whispers, God, I love you near the yeah. end. Um, uh, but either way, she's done it multiple times and it's... It's almost oh, like I found it. You did. It is literally right when you see the foot. Good, good. Yeah. yeah. So she does that, and then, yep. And it's wild. Um, I have a lot of dialogue in my stream consciousness notes because it was just like it was intense dialogue. Yeah. So the dialogue is just really good. That's what I focused on the most is that they I think they focus on it so hard too to make her this sweet and terrifying person. And yeah. It was very interesting. Um, I love the line at the end when she says, like, I'm your biggest fan. And it's that woman that just is, it just has the, waitress, like, just... desert cart. Yep. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> and he, yeah. And I was like, that's a great way to end it, yeah. I think, is to just show that, like, you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, um, interestingly, in the book, um, he, there's, like, aside from the fact that he says in the movie, like, you know, I think that, like, I took away some good things from that time. Right. Like, Annie Wilkes did teach me some good things. Like, or, like, I could find positives in this hellscape. Right. In the novel, he, like, admits at least to himself that Annie Wilkes had valid criticisms of the shallowness of misery and it made the character have more nuance and depth. And so I was like, oh, so she's a good, you know, editor then. <laughs> I remembered that. Like, well, not from the book, but yeah. I remembered that he, at the end, says something like that. And I was like, she does. And in the book, it's even clearer that, oh, like... Good. Her critiques actually, like, spur him to create a more nuanced character. Because, like, there are times where she's talking about the book, and I'm like, she knows what she's talking about. Yeah. And I like that that is something they don't take out. They're like, she knows what she's talking about, and that part is true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I hate, hate in a good way, that, like, he sees it, and he's like, I 
I hate it. <laughs> There's nothing he can do. She's right. She's out of line, but she's right. <laughs> yes. It's like the wrong equation, right answer type situation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and then, like I said, I talked about dialogue and acting pretty much the entire time because that's what I focused on. He is so calm throughout most of this, but yeah. only out of like necessity, mm-hmm. I feel like. And she is calm and wild, I think. Yeah. And it's fun. But then what's so interesting to me is that they killed the comedic relief. That moment. Isn't that's that, that's so odd. It's not it's king, so I'm not surprised. Right. It's like you're not surprised, but it is such an odd thing. I feel like usually it's done for comedy when they kill them, or it's done for like very, very big shocking effect. Yeah. Whereas this happened so fast, you didn't even have time to like grieve him. Yeah. Oh my god. It I have it hurt me. I, I all capsed in my notes at that point. I was like, holy fuck, there's a hole in the sheriff. Yep. And I was like, oh. I was so sad. Yeah. I forgot about it's it. It's like, a cab. But. but. <laughs> like, I completely forgot that he died. I knew that him, I knew that he was kind of funny. And him and his wife were so fun. And and he also refuses to arrest people for dumb reasons. Yes. So I was like, okay. He was, he was very good character. And like, yeah. he was very funny. I think they gave us the only few moments of like comedy out of this. The brief moment where he flips her off is really funny. Yeah. Um. But they were really the only two people in the movie that were like co- consistently funny. Yeah. And then to kill him so quick, I was like, "Well, that's that's done, and that's yeah. done. We will not." La- and you do. I don't think you see his wife again. I mean, no. we get no Brenda Lee's mom, Willie yeah. Ray. <laughs> so I know her from the closer. Like oh. that's how I know her. And <laughs> I so, was like, "What? Who the fuck?" Uh, she was also in the Mist. She's like a Stephen oh King adaptation, God. like yeah. early. But not to demean her acting chops <laughs> but, by saying she's a girly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I know her from the closer. But yeah, so. but but yeah, you get no closure with her, and it was so interesting to me that they were like, "Wasn't that guy so funny?" Because he's dead now, and we're not going to talk about it again. That was it. That was just done. Nope. And it hurt. He served to move the plot along, offer humor, mm-hmm. and then once it looked like he could influence things too much, Gone. dead. And that is so interesting to me. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> to me, like, that's the moment where it's like, oh, shit's real. Huh. As, as someone who is often the comedic relief, I was like, am I not safe? <laughs> You're telling me I could go at any moment? We already determined in final girl territory that neither of us are. <laughs> well, they, uh, everyone voted me the killer, which I think is horrible. Thanks, guys. Oh, did we do that poll? <laughs> yes, and everyone said Nikki's the murderer. <laughs> they also did the one where they said I was the demon. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all have a weird thing with me. I thought I was the funny one. And I, instead everyone's like, I think Nikki might be a murderer. I think there was a time when we were playing one of those um Jackbox games and it was like who was most likely to kill someone? Yes. And people pointed at you and me. No. Oh, I <laughs> There were was- two different times. There was one where you weren't there. Yes. They all pointed at me, yep. and I was the person who didn't know the prompt. Uh-huh. So I pointed to someone else, and they went, well, we know you're the imposter. Yep. <laughs> because you didn't point at yourself. I'm not a murderer. <laughs> Guys. Kate, you kept, you kept getting voted final girl, which I thought really? was Really? Oh, yeah. Everyone thought that you would make it. Oh, I thought I was the nerdy friend that, like, starts you were to, nerdy. like, realize the I truth. I voted nerdy friend yeah. the truth. And yeah. they were all like, no, Kate's smart. She'll make it to the end. Oh, my God. And I was like, hot damn. Because they said I would try to kill you and you'd make it. Oh. Well, <laughs> uh, they haven't seen me play Mortuary Assistant where I just simply refused If it pitch. makes you feel better. I was watching people, like, pretty famous, yeah. like, gaming YouTubers yeah. play it. And they were like, this game's so fucking confusing. And they oh. were like, and they got the bad endings. So don't worry. Okay. So don't worry. It's not just us. It makes me feel better. <laughs> We're not 
we're not the only ones who are struggling with this game. No. It's kind of hard. I also just refuse to engage with the ghost until I have to. <laughs> Which is so funny because I also found out that sometimes that shows you who the, the demon is. Really? Yeah. When the flapping was happening and the door was closing and opening yeah. and you were like, I'm just not going to look at it. Apparently, if you look, it shows the door opening on the, the body that is the demon. And you were just like, yeah, I'm just not going to look at it. <laughs> so bravery is rewarded, are you saying? Bravery is rewarded in this game and Kate refuses. Uh, I will never win. <laughs> But the, that's pretty much all my notes is just that I think the acting in this is incredible. I think that it's subtle and then not, and then subtle and then not, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And it just keeps you on the edge. There are so many moments where they cut back and forth between yeah. like two things. And it's like when she's bringing the ream of paper in and he's trying to like go through the house and it's like, they do it enough where it's like, that's all you really love cutting back and forth, but right. it's never done poorly. No. So we can get away with it. Yes. There's and a lot of cuts in this, but it, it's done in a way that works and if you have something that takes place entirely almost entirely in one mm-hmm. location you're gonna need some fun yeah. camera work <laughs> i also thought it was we've talked about it before but it was nice that the house is very lived in and yeah you know they did a good job with that because yeah. i was like if you're gonna make it one location please make it nice and it was it looked very lived in um i have a note about the set dressing okay one of my favorite parts like you could just stare at the set dressing for forever because like there is so much about her like emotional state her Mm -hmm. history like it's all baked into the scene yes but then also the moment where they're having the candle at dinner Mm -hmm. and uh the card table is held up by mismatched books because it's not the right height to have a wheelchair underneath. Right. And to me, that was just like this moment where I had to pause it. I was like, damn, that's good set. That's <laughs> good. They thought of so much. Yeah. Which is so good. I feel like sometimes, I feel like sometimes when you're making a big movie, you can get caught up in like, well, they're not going to see it. They're not going to notice. Who cares? But then sometimes you will. And it's like a few seconds on screen. Yeah. And it did a lot of work. But it just, it, like, it puts you into the moment so yeah. much. And sometimes I think... I think it's nice when they yeah. put those tiny details in. And it makes you think of her, like, setting it up. Like, did they, like, try to turn yeah. on and then realize? And it's like, exactly. what is the situation that has led to him right. being in this wheelchair and at this dinner? And so, like, it's just books. Emotionally table leg. makes you think of so many other things. Yeah. And then it just makes you realize where you are in this moment. And you're like, oh, fuck. Like, yep. <laughs> it's just good. I just had a lot of I um, think good for, thoughts about right. that. <laughs> we take for granted how good good set dressing yeah. and small little things will be yeah. until you notice it and you're like, that is good. Yeah. <laughs> it's really Damn, good. good. Fuck. Shit. <laughs> but yeah, that's those okay. are all my notes. I just thought it was fun and interesting and uh, acting so good. My notes, the sound of typewriter keys, so satisfying. Mm. It's one of my favorite noises. It's so good. Uh, at my parent, like the family business, there are so many different places in yeah. that old ass building. And I would go into the garage and then into like this side attic that was dusty as all get out, had no lights. And there was this antique like typewriter. And I would just like click, 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 oh. click, click. Didn't work. I loved it. Um, <laughs> and then I have two notes that it took me a while to understand what the second one was. But yeah. a lonely champagne pop. And it's like him celebrating on his own. Oh, yeah. And then show that tree who's boss. And I was like, what tree? Now, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's when he throws a snowball at a tree. Right. Um, I want the sweater she has. The cabling on that is Lux. Like, oh, good sweater. Good sweater. And then I, um, when I was rereading my notes, I was like, Kate, what were you, what were you hey, thinking? It's you fuck his legs. And it's not fuck his legs. It's fuck his legs. <laughs> <laughs> but fuck I read it as legs. fuck his legs. <laughs> You're like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> what part? What deleted scene? Uh, yeah, right. Oh. 
<laughs> I accidentally pasted a big thing in the middle. <laughs> um, let's see. Virginia, when you're in this car, you're not my wife, you're my deputy. That part made me laugh so hard. And she's like, well, this deputy thinks they should be at home. Cuddling on de-. She's like, like, this I deputy wants the sheriff underneath the sheets. That was it. I was like, how? You were so good. <laughs> and it's like, they have their comedic moment. And it's like, do you need help? No, I'm having a good time. That and was like, so good. When he's reading the book and he's like, misery just didn't. She's like, that's nice. Like, yep. she doesn't give a shit. She's reading like a detective mystery yeah. or something and he's reading a romance novel. It was so good. But like, they have the comedy of them like joking with each other. And then as he walks back up the hill, you see the tire of the car. He was yep. so close to finding it. I know. So it's like humor, tension. Yeah. Um, I have ominous music and then a pig enters. <laughs> There's nothing more ominous than a pig. <laughs> right? Um, and then, Okay. So the first time that he's, like, trying to explore the house when she leaves, he starts crawling out of bed. Yes. And he is half out. Like, his full torso is out of bed. And he has one arm on the floor. And he's looking back, like, maybe I've erred. Maybe I should go back in <laughs> maybe, bed. Maybe. Hold on. <laughs> maybe I didn't think this through. And I was like, my comrade, I have been halfway out of bed with all of my limbs in perfect working order. And that is, you cannot go back. It's there too is, late. When the bed is high enough, it doesn't matter how strong you are. You cannot push yourself back up into no, the bed. No, you have no. to commit. You just, you're on the ground now. Yeah. And so it's like the number of times I've fallen out of bed and you have like one arm and you're like, I saved myself. Oh. That's, that's a ground boy. He's on the ground yeah. now. Ground boy now. And the elevator baby now. <laughs> hey, elevator baby. Oh, oh fuck. Okay. Um, and then the, it's not quite bookends because it's not beginning and end, right. but when he has the cigarette and the matches and it's like, oh yeah, when you keep bringing back the matches where it's like first celebratory, celebratory, celebratory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then when he has to set his manuscript on fire versus when he right. like triumphantly sets paper on fire. Oh, I know. So it was very That's interesting. So good. To the and return to fire. freaking out and you're like, ha ha. Yes. Um, isn't that an oogie mess? Oogie mess uh-huh. fucking killed me. Oh, it's Oogie mess. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> well, uh, I'll save that for tropes. I don't like that the house can't be unlocked from the inside. The front door can be locked from the outside, but not unlocked from the inside. And to me, you should be able to lock and unlock a door from both sides. Like key from the outside. I, I didn't realize from it. The inside. You're right. Because he goes to the front door and he tries to open it and he's at like lock right. level, but there isn't, a latch oh. on it it has Does she to just be, have like a key yeah. or is it wow. it has to be locked from the outside how old is this place dang i know but to me that's like alarming because i think that any door should be unlockable from the inside that's just a fire hazard yeah annie come on it's like the You're new much room, you know <laughs> come on <laughs> um then there's the constant friction of her feeling like he's calling her like uneducated yeah and that's just like always like, the potential for him to insult her is there. Yeah. Uh, we should toast to misery. Mm-hmm. Toast to misery. Uh, the way that Kathy Bates captures the range of Annie's emotions. The hallway peek and linger and peek and linger. Really got me. <laughs> peek and linger. <laughs> I was like, what else is it? What? Like, wait, it's all old. Yes. I loved it. It, it was beautiful tension oh humor God. tension humor it's very good i'm all about it um oh my fucking god the sheriff just has a hole straight through him now i hated it yeah those are all my notes <laughs> it's good um see it was hard 
this is one of those ones where it's hard to look away. So yeah. my notes are varied because I'm like, I, I can't, I can't, I have I, to watch. I have notes after that, but they are not coherent. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Mine are just like, ah! It's like, shit, like, fuck, I need damn. to calm down. Yep. <laughs> I, I just liked it. I think that we've talked about it before where I think the movie is made by the acting. And I think that that's yes. what this one is. I mean, Kathy Bates is incredible. What's his name? James can james khan fuck by now i think i think that might be it but yeah c-a-n one of the men who didn't play it <laughs> not those guys but he he was also very good i mean yeah. he's very he's very calm throughout sort of but like in a way that i think is for survival not for anything else you know it, it's, it's it's interesting i don't know it is it's one of those things that makes me think like i keep whacking shit with my ring Sorry. <laughs> a big ring it's a chunky ring uh, it's my self-defense ring. <laughs> uh, for legal reasons, that's a joke because self-defense rings are illegal in right. some parts of the country. This <laughs> is just spooky. Um, there, I can't speak to this like mm-hmm. personally, but there are a lot of folks that like if they come from a background where they have been emotionally and/or physically abused, mm-hmm. they can spot and like really tune in to minute reactions to protect themselves Mm -hmm. where it's like their safety is on the line for them to like recognize when they have like hit a nerve or like predict those things or like tread softly basically and you see him doing that a lot where he is he has to learn pretty fucking quick yeah that there are sore spots and there are nerves that he can strike very easily and for his safety he has to be very careful and so i wonder if someone is watching that like this film right. with that experience, oh, like does it hit harder? I wonder. Yeah, and it's also interesting because there seems to be not no consistency in the fourth kind sort of way, but no consistency in a scary way because he flips her off, and you would think that that would upset her a lot, mm-hmm. but she goes, "Oh, you kidder!" So it's like, in what, what, what is the. What is it? What's the limit here? Yeah. That was a confusing moment. But I love it. Yeah. Because it's like, I think that she is, she got what she wanted in this situation. So she's like, I'm good. Like, he's kidding. Yeah. She's in a place where she can feel like he loves her still and it's a joke. And he hasn't corrected her recently. Right. She's getting him to write misery. Is, like, as soon as, like, she's kind of on the edge of, like, you've been doing this lately. I don't like this. I don't like this. Then every little thing is bad. Yes. So it's just hard. It was an interesting film. It's an interesting film to watch. I think you're right that it would be hard to watch if you had been in like a situation like that where that was something you had to do. Yeah. Ooh, rough. Are you ready for scariest moment? Yes. I've got mine. I have mine. You go first. It's from the sheriff's shot. Oh, uh, yeah. It was uh, like one of those. It's like a jump scare, but it's also like, fuck. It's like, awful. It was the hope spot where it's like, um, I mean, we've had this trope right, before, right. but basically it's like, oh, he's going to be saved. Oh, someone's here. They're fucking gone. And it was fast. It was so fast. And it's one of those moments that reminds you like the tenuous tether to like life, like where it's just basically like life can so easily be cut short. And yep. that's alarming. It's like when you're following a series and your favorite character is suddenly just killed. Just gone. So like spoiler alert for yeah. Serenity. <laughs> Um, and this movie, but I'm going to talk about Serenity. (laughs) Also this, but yeah. (laughs) When Wash is killed. Yeah. Just like something, a shard through the window and you just get speared in a second. And it's like when you watch films that like have war or battle of some sort in them, it is unrealistic when all of your main characters make it through. Yeah. Because 
life is well, random. Was like <laughs> anyone watching Game of Thrones, like, yeah, I wasn't super into it, but when Ned everybody died. would be like, they're they're gone. Yeah. It was like you learned pretty quick when not Ned to get attached dead. in book one. Yes. that's what teaches you. No one is too yeah. loved. To that die. was that was the moment that people were like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I get it, I guess. And that sucks, but yeah, it's good. It you know, I mean, it, it's interesting. Yeah, it, I think that's also nice in books and movies because then it helps you pay attention to other characters. Yeah, because it's like this one's my favorite, but they could die, so I'm yep. gonna go ahead and appreciate others as well. Yep. <laughs> and so to, it's it's interesting. And to me, it was like there is nothing sacred here. Like we yeah. have our plucky comic relief. You can kill him off, and then he's forgotten and in seconds. Sucks. And it's a moment where you're like, oh shit, reality is cruel. And he's not even resolved because <laughs> no. it's like he wasn't part of this plot. What what's what's the point? Oh my god, it yeah. hurt. Um, my scariest moment is like I always choose the weird, subtle ones, but this I love one it. gets me. It's when she spills the wine. Mm. Hated it. He, you think he's gonna lose his because he worked so hard. He worked so hard saving these pills. Like obviously, if you haven't seen it, he gets these painkillers. He starts saving them. He convinces her to have this like romantic dinner. Basically, he lies to her and gaslights her into being like, "I love you too." Puts all this medicine in her wine to get her to fall asleep, thinking, I got this now. And she fucking spills it. And there's never any moment of, did she do it on purpose? Did she not? There's never any, like, it kind of seems like she did, but she also has that way of talking that she would say that anyway, so I don't know. And I hate it. She spills it, and he looks devastated, but for his own safety, cannot do anything. You see that moment where he's like, I might lose my shit. Yeah. I might lose my goddamn mind. And he, like, you can see the grip he has on yeah. his temper. You get a very good moment of her cleaning and him just staring. And then finally she goes like, oh, well, let's cheers. And he's yeah. like, <laughs> cheers. And he has to, for his own safety, just pretend that he's not absolutely fucking devastated. And that part oh, hurt because yeah. I was like, that's another hope spot where it's like, I really thought this was going to work. Yeah. And I forgot about that part. And it hurt. I was like, oh, that sucks so bad. It's yeah. Because even if it wasn't on purpose, it was such a, an accidental mistake that could happen that like, can you fucking believe it? <laughs> it just sucked. It sucked. So that part got me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm ready for, I'm fucking ready for tropes, tropes. now. Okay. Hell yeah. Woo. Uh, there were a lot. So really? I tried to pare it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have author avatar and it's when the character mm-hmm. represents the creator. Oh, okay. And in this case, like, Annie is supposed to represent, like, addiction right. and, like, cocaine and struggles as a writer with, like, feeling, like, trapped in a, in a corner, genre or whatever, yeah. Uh, and Paul represents him. Right. Um, let's see. Bad Samaritan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was so good, though. Yep. Uh, big stupid doo-doo head. Is a trope. <laughs> yeah. I already know what it's about, but it's killing me. Yep. When an adult uses childish language and Annie mixes like the childish with like this puritanical adult need for control yes. over someone else based on your view of morality. And again, it gets back to that righteousness that yes. like it it scares me. We've had this a lot more than I thought. Yeah. We had it in the mist, we had it in frailty, we have it in this. Like yeah. Yeah. it's scary. It's a lot. Yeah. Uh cliffhanger cop out. Uh, so when they mm. retcon something about the events of the cliffhanger to resolve it since they wrote themselves into a corner in the previous installment. Okay. And this is something that gets her, like, pissed as shit. So this yeah. is an in-universe trope where oh, it's, like, okay. she rails against the trope of the cliffhanger yes. cop-out. Okay. Um, and it's, remember when she's talking about, like, the cereals and <gasps> yeah. he's like, oh, the cliffhangers. And she's like, they're also called cereals, blah, blah, blah. So, like, she has a moment where he, like, gently offers, like, a correction or a clarification and she's and like, she's like mm. fuck you. 
Um, and she's like, he didn't jump out of the cliff. Like, and she, as a child, stands up in the theater, starts screaming. It's like, right. oh, okay, you've always been in need of support. <laughs> right. Uh, and there's also a version of this, or like, sorry, I had to hiccup. <laughs> I'm good. I get it. Uh, so there's another version where it's like, if you think it's a cliffhanger cop out, it might actually be this instead. Yeah. And it's called contrast, uh, or it's called once more with clarity. Yeah. So it's like, the cliffhanger cop out is say you have a car dragging towards a cliff, mm-hmm. and you see the person in the car drive over the cliff they are in the car once it leaves the road right the cliffhanger cop out is if when they jump in next week he jumps out before it gets airborne right that is very clearly different we know that didn't happen but a once more with clarity is like you see like the first week the car going over the edge but you don't see the interior of the car right and when you watch it the next week you see this play-by-play of him preparing to right. get out of the car or like his escape plan or you see exactly. him like ready to get out the other side Where it's like you didn't see it but he's not in the car or yep. in some way yeah and it's like we're going to show you more details than you had that last time to show sense. you how we got out of it yeah so that's once more with clarity versus mm-hmm. a cliffhanger cop out yeah we have a despair speech. So when she yep. has the blues from the rain. Yeah. Uh, Interesting moment. Yeah. Uh, does this remind you of anything? We had this, I think, for the first time with the original It adaptation, mm-hmm. where it was about, like, attacking children and stuff. Yeah. Um, but in <clears throat> his book on writing, King notes that Annie Wilkes was a metaphor for, like, his drug addiction. Right. Um, quote, Annie was drugs and booze, and I was tired of being Annie's pet writer. And then there's also, like addiction is isolating right uh it's exhausting like all these different things right so does this remind you of anything is like it's not just like him being kidnapped or kind right it's also it's... him struggling against his own inner demons right or like you know the illness of addiction yeah. uh double meaning title mm-hmm. misery is he is in misery in misery <laughs> and also he named his main character misery chastain yeah uh facial dialogue kathy fucking bates oh my god she has so much with her face She's so incredible. Uh, fatal flaw. So this is something that comes up so much in Greek tragedy mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, your fatal flaw is hubris. Oh, right. your fatal flaw is X. Where it's like, this is the one thing. There's something. That will get you in the end. And yeah. until that point, it will be usually something that helps you achieve great things. Yeah. But in the end, what will get you is this flaw. And for Kathy Bates, or sorry, Annie Wilkes, uh, it's that she loves misery. Yeah. She loves Misery Chastain so much. And when he sets the manuscript on fire, she is distracted by everything. And that gives him the opportunity to clock her with a typewriter. Which is such a good moment because you see him lifting it above his head Mm -hmm. only like twice. And you kind of know what's happening, but you're like, that's weird, but okay. And then he hits her and you go, ah, it's all clear now. That's such a good tiny thing to throw in. Gave me some Uncle Iroh vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, it did. But yeah, that that was a good moment. Yeah. Interesting. Now we're getting into a fun one. Okay. Oh, God. I mean, they're all fun, but... Yeah. Hairpin lockpick. Yeah. I have spent a fair amount of time learning lockpicking, mm-hmm. and I am still not good at it. It's also not legal to, um, like, ah. buy the materials uh, <laughs> in, like, certain states. My girlfriend absolutely has a lockpicking kit. Yeah. And I was like, are you breaking I, the law? I wanted to buy one, but I didn't want it to be traceable to me. Right? And so I made my own. I need to figure out how she has one. <laughs> uh... It, I don't know, maybe the laws have changed since right? I took this I up in know. high school. But I bought a bunch of, like, safety pins, very thick bobby pins, and then yeah. you, like, strip them of the rubber, and mm-hmm. then you bend them with pliers. 
And so, so you, like you need one for the tension mm-hmm. and one for the pins. Mm-hmm. And so the easiest way is to like get the tension so that when you push the pins up, they mm-hmm. don't come back down. Right. So you do mm-hmm. need something strong to keep the tension. And then you use a rake, which is like a little zigzaggy right. thing. And that'll just push up a bunch of pins. Right. But then if you have the actual like, like pointy one, mm-hmm. you use it to like feel where the pin is and push it up. Right. So that's like basic lock picking. Right. He just has a bent safety He's just pin. Like no, like, it yeah. He did me my kind of lock picking. In high school, <laughs> I used to absolutely just get into buildings by just doing that. And yeah. sometimes it would work. Yes, because different types of locks. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I got into a few buildings. <laughs> oh, yeah. So there's actually something in my parents' house. We would always keep a bobby pin mm-hmm. on top of um, yeah. the door frame. Yeah. Because there were certain doors that, like, you, to lock it from the inside, you push on the doorknob and you yes, turn it to the side that was what it was and you can undo those with just yes. like jabbing a bobby pin in there that was what it was and i used to just boop, 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 boop. yeah <laughs> and it's easy to accidentally lock it, it and is. not be able to unlock it yep, and so like exa- we used to get locked in our like theater office all the time yep. so i would just learn how to unlock it because yep. i was like well if we're stuck here like yep. i was like i'll learn how to get out <laughs> yep so like that type of lock very easy with right just, like, jabbing yeah in. but like if you're doing like an but actual like the no no <laughs> Uh, so the use of a hairpin to pick a lock is a trope. And in this case, it is lampshaded. And I wanted to dig into lampshading because we haven't talked about it like in depth. Mm -mm. Uh, So I want to use a quote from Mm -hmm. tvtropes.org. Thank you, tvtropes.org. Lampshade hanging, or more informally, lampshading, Mm -hmm. is the writer's trick of dealing with any element of the story that threatens the audience's willing suspension of disbelief, whether a very implausible plot development or a particularly blatant use of a trope, by calling attention to it and simply moving on. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this assures the audience that the author is aware of the implausible plot development that has just happened, and they aren't trying to slip one past the audience. <laughs> it also assures the audience that the world of the story is like real life. What's implausible for you is just as implausible for these characters, and just as likely to provoke an incredulous response. <laughs> uh, and then there's also, like, it can be used for entertaining, like, where it's, like, oh, yeah. you're, like, breaking the fourth wall, or, like, genre savvy, genre blindness, like, that right. kind thing. Uh, That's so funny. And so I think it's, we know there are a lot of, yeah. And he like uses it and he's like, well, what are you going to say? It actually works because he's like, you've written about this. You can do it. And then it actually works and he's surprised. (laughs) He's like, oh shit. (laughs) So I thought that was fun. Um, Hope Spot we talked about. Right. I'm your biggest fan. Love it. Yeah. The kind napper. Yep. Yep. Uh, So quote, someone kidnaps someone for reasons that are, or are believed to be benevolent. Mm -hmm. The modus operandi of the kind napper will vary according to the work and intended audience, but he invariably invariably fulfills these requirements. Mm -hmm. One, he has kidnapped one or more people. And two, the kidnapper's reason for having abducted said person or people involves a belief that it is a benevolent act towards the victims. Okay. And so it doesn't actually have to be kind, but they believe it to be kind. Right. And so in this case, she does save him. Right. He would have frozen to death or perhaps bled out. Who's to say? Something. Something. Maybe a bear would have gotten in there. Who knows? Bear with a crowbar. Uh... But she did save his life, yeah. and then she kept him. <laughs> yeah. Kind napper. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a long one. Uh, I'm going to save it. Um, <laughs> newspaper backstory, where okay. it's like there are a lot of different ways that we can get backstory. You can do flashbacks. You can do mm-hmm. an exposition dump where someone just like gives a speech and is like, oh, right. that's all the background. <laughs> or you can have a very long movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but there's also like a newspaper article that shows you, oh, she was an angel of death in hospitals. Right. And so, like, she has her scrapbook of memories. Yeah. Uh, memory Lane, I think it's called. Yeah. And it, it 
lays out all the murders that she did while Faye's she was a nurse. Like, oh, here's 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 this, and you're like, oh yeah, okay, great. That really explains uh-huh, uh-huh. stuff. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and then police are useless. This mm-hmm. is subverted and zigzagged. Yeah. So we have the um, <clears throat> like, not county like. There's someone above the sheriff that comes mm-hmm. in and is like, blah, 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 it's done. And then the yeah. sheriff is like, but actually, I have some ideas. And there are so many points where, like, at first you think he's just going to be as useless as I'll get right. out. Because he, like, puts a post-it. And he's like, I'll put it in the system. He puts a post-it note on a board. Yeah. And then his wife comes in and he's like, no, nah, I need to run out this lead. So it has so many different moments where it goes back and forth between, really like, does. competent and incompetent. But then it's also subverted in that he ultimately does figure it he out. He does figure it out. Yeah. And he's, Yeah. Yeah, such a good moment with him. Uh, snowed in and time passes montage. These yep. are two King staples. Now for the last one. <laughs> R- most writers are writers. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, like a variant trope. So okay. what? No, I'm just ready. I'm just excited. <laughs> and I said, Kate. And no, I, I like, went, what? okay. <laughs> uh, so I think one of them was like, most writers are male. And that's like, you know, yeah. a misogyny trope. Um, and more, but... This one is most writers are writers. And mm-hmm. uh, so just direct quote from tvtropes.org. Interestingly, such characters are only occasionally author avatars. Uh, let's see. One of the main pieces of advice writers here is write what you know. And since as writers, they know writing, they have some idea of how a writer would react to a given situation. So it's like an advantage. Mm-hmm. And then there are also a bunch of other reasons that this is beneficial yeah. in having a writer be your main character. So quote, it helps get past the whole realistic diction is unrealistic problem. Right. Since a writer would be expected to know how to use big fancy words. Right. I don't need to say more on that. <laughs> uh, journalists and other kinds of nonfiction writers generally are expected to have investigative skills and attention to details that are useful in many kinds of plots, such as crime solving. So it gives yeah. them a reason to be like very... Um, attentive yeah and like putting things they're together because they're like situation general. yeah yep i uh, quote even if they don't use these skills in the plot journalists are generally close to a wide variety of local important people like politicians big events like disasters but not actually one of the people involved in those events right uh this is the in-universe reason why superman and spider-man went into journalism in the first place so they could keep their ears to the ground and find out when and where superheroes are needed right and then uh Freelance writers and journalists have a semi-plausible excuse for their one-hour work week. <laughs> one-hour work week is the trope where it's like a, a character has a full-time job, but they're never at their job. But they're never there? Yep. That's incredible. Yep. It's like we talked about this with Monster Hearts because it's like, yeah, they're all high school students, but never in the high school. So like we very intentionally have <laughs> things happen true. at high school. <laughs> uh, and then fiction writers you know the right what you know principle can also have like a bunch of random skills because yeah. it's like oh i researched how to lock pick for this book so i have the skill of lock picking now <laughs> uh and then you can really like hand wave around like they're a writer but they're a freelancer so of course they just kind of work when they feel right. divinely inspired so there are a lot of like ways that having a writer mm-hmm. as a main character can be very beneficial. Yeah, that's true. Because they have the flexibility of like, like yeah. yeah. Yep. Those that's are my so trips. Funny. I love it. <laughs> I like kind number. Kind number. <laughs> that yeah. one's such a good one. TVtropes.org is a gift. I love it. I love getting I love doing tropes. Um now we have to talk about rating scales, which I have three options. But there are more than you that. You said obviously. one already that I went that one. <laughs> And I got so excited. Uh, Dirty Birds, Oogies, number one fans. No, it was <laughs> when they're in the 
hallway. Oh, the peak. Oh, okay, hold on. Peak and linger. Because <laughs> it was between dirty birdies. Because, like, of course, of course, yeah. dirty birdies. Yeah. Or peak and linger. Peak and linger. Because they're like, what? I just. That really got me. Okay. So it's it's up to you, but I'm between the peak and lingers or the dirty birdies. I feel like. Dirty, Dirty birds is too expected, you know. It's too classic. Yeah, we got to surprise it. them. Yeah, surprise them. <laughs> peek and lingers. Peek and lingers. <laughs> I love the peek and lingers. Okay, I, um, I think I know mine. I think I know mine. Yeah. Okay. I think I got it. One, two. Okay, I was also feeling yeah. that. Okay, that's the. I was afraid that I was being too mean. No, because okay, okay. So we we almost chose four. Yes. I also wanted to choose four, but yeah. I, Bumped it down to we three both and did a half. Three and a half pink and lingers, which is peak seven lingers, total. Yeah. Do you want me to go first? Mm-hmm. I I did it because I I think the acting's amazing. You know me, I love any movie that takes place in like one place. Yeah. That still feels interesting. Yeah. So I love that. But it's so hard to talk about a character whose entire villainy is like mental illness. Yeah. And I just I it's so hard, especially as I get older. Yeah. Because like as a kid. I don't know what these things are. I watched this pretty young. Yeah. I, I would say like mid-teens or whatever. So I just don't really know, you know? like. And it's also part of the socialization and like it yeah. builds the trope. It we've, builds our expectations. We've talked about it before. We're like, yeah. we talked about, I can't remember. We talked about Britney Spears. We talked about a lot of things. We're like, we were taught to not like these people yeah. because they're crazy when really they're just mentally ill. But yeah. also like there are other factors that we don't know. Yeah. So like, I didn't know. Yeah. So now I'm watching it and I'm thinking, well, her entire character is just that she's mentally ill and you're basically yeah, making me hate her for that. Yes. And that's just, I think that's such a hard thing because it's in so many movies. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm saying, how dare you, Misery? How dare you do this? Because everyone fucking did it. Yeah. That was just a thing. Yes. Yeah. It still is. I mean, yeah. we've had movies where like, we're still like, really? That's what you're gonna? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I love this movie. It's still nostalgic because it was one of the first horror movies I ever saw. I think that it's interesting. Yeah. Especially with the fandom and like losing yourself in something that you love. It's very interesting. And Kathy Bates is incredible. Mm. The acting in this is so good from everybody. I yeah. think everybody does a good job. I can't think of a character who I don't think does a good job. Yeah. The set dressing is amazing. The attention to detail is incredible. So I love it. Yeah. But I'm... Dropping it down just a little because I, I hate that the thing I'm supposed to be scared of her for yeah. is something that it's just perpetuating a stereotype that is dangerous. So yep. that's my only thing. Yep. Uh, it's three and a half peak and lingers yeah. for me as well. Yeah. Uh, same reasons pretty yep. much where it's like <clears throat> Kathy Bates to me is the reason it gets like as yeah. many stars as it does. It's I'm just generally not a fan of the way Stephen King writes women. Uh, and there's just a lot of misogyny that like isn't like outright a character saying women are unstable but it's like the assumptions and the beliefs that are socialized into us yeah and then the way that they are taken up it's just uncomfortable and then the way that mental illness is stigmatized and villainized Mm. don't like it Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh really common don't like it it is very common uh and then i loved like i just keep thinking about the table (laughs) that table was so good like there's just little tiny things yeah uh, I think that a lot of the way that, that it was shot was very compelling. 
And they had a joke, like, uh, the folks that worked on the film, like, celebrated when he left the room for the first time. Because they're like, we're filming at a new location. (laughs) Hell yeah! They're like, he's out! Uh, So they do a lot with a very narrow scope of locations. And I think that's cool. They use the window a lot, which is great. You get to see the outside world, and you're in a new place, but you're not there, and he's not there. So it's like the trapped feeling while still being able to show us more. It's very interesting. And they do like that near miss tension several yeah. times, really compelling. So like yeah. when the helicopter goes over, they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Like right. a near miss. Like when he's in the basement and you think that the cop left before like he can be heard. Like, right. They, there's so much excellent use of tension yeah. and comedy. It's and so good. I value like, that. <laughs> it's just good. So yeah, three and a half from me, three and a half from you. Yeah. So seven total peak and lingers. We have been same page a lot lately yeah this yeah. is like this is going well it's we've unusual. had our moments of discord we've had moments <laughs> i mean listen texas know. chainsaw massacre <laughs> i was gonna say i'm like texas chainsaw yeah like we've been there but but yeah lately we've been on very much the same page but this one i still love it i would still recommend it to people like i do still oh, yeah. think that it is a good movie i just i just oh this is such this is just one of those stereotypes that is just so like dangerous to perpetuate yeah. that i get a little like Ooh, yeah. every time I see it yeah. and this one is is hard because it's old and it's it's that classic it, I'm doing finger quotes it aged didn't age well but it's like it wasn't good then no but it was just accepted yes now it's just less so yeah unfortunately still very still much. accepted yeah so still a very good movie though it's a movie that like I will only recommend to people that I know and can have a dialogue with yeah where yeah. it's like hey in advance this like stigmatizes and villainizes yeah. mental illness like if I was like you understand that, like, you can't watch media without criticizing it. That's yes. just life. I would recommend it to people yes. who I was like, listen, you know, you know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a lot of movies. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's uh, our discussion of misery. That's it, yeah. And we got straight to the point. We didn't take any sidetracks. No, no. This one was no. really straight through. Yeah, didn't get distracted at all. <laughs> I feel great. Me distracted? Never. No, no. <laughs> huh. That wraps up our discussion of misery. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed your time with us, we would really appreciate it if you'd rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find us. It's apparently like the one to rate and review on. It's the one. It's the one. So if you have, are you the one? Say. <laughs> are you the one? <laughs> but you can rate and review anywhere. Yeah, uh, or just tell your friends. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Just Cool With It. And every week we'll post the movie for the week, out of context quotes or no context quotes rather. Yeah, uh, and just some other fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, you can check out our extended show notes on our website, justcoolwithitpod.com, or maybe even take a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash justcoolwithit. This is a patron pick. Woo! Oh, yes, we, we did say it. Yeah, okay, okay. We I always did. forget to mention it. You mentioned it. You remembered. <laughs> uh, we'd like to take this opportunity to thank our patrons. Kim, Kelly, Nehart, Will, Rachel, Kelsey, Sula, Tim, Beth, Kayla, Meg, Katie, Morgan, Brady, Kenny, Janice, Brian, Jess, and Ada. Woo! Woo! The dance is tiny now. I, like, I always say it. Someday we're going to film it so everyone can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real little. We'll be wearing our yaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love our patrons. They're I, incredible. They're amazing. Uh, and they understand how I play games. <laughs> yeah, they get it. <laughs> and they uh, protect both of our lies when one of us leaves and... <laughs> yeah we did do that yep join our patreon you know what's going on yep <laughs> uh the intro and outro music was created by anthony Rockzella. the cover art it's by our very own nikki solomon okay guess what no i'm what? your biggest fan <laughs> 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 what if i was what if i locked your door <laughs> oh. kate's house what if i just locked it was like you're stuck and she was like <laughs> <laughs> my door's tiny is everyone so got her <laughs> Thank you.
ಗೋವೇನೆ 